Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. I've got a few minutes to speak this morning, so we'll go ahead and, and dive into that. We're, we're back on Acts chapter 3. Let's catch you guys up to speed on where we are. Acts chapter 1, we see the disciples uh, up in the upper room uh, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come with power and might. He rolls in in Acts chapter 2, um, filling them with the Holy Spirit uh, with the evidence of, of tongues and signs and wonders and miracles. Everybody freaks out. It's an incredible experience. 3,000 people get saved and become part of their crew. Um, and then uh, God continues to multiply them daily. Acts chapter 3 begins with Peter and John um, moving uh, forward. And they're at the temple now. Um, and this uh, paralyzed man asks them for alms. He says famously, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I'll give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And they do. And he does. So we are now seeing this take place, and what we're going to pick up with is in verse 11 of chapter 3, and we're going to finish this chapter out. This is immediately at the same time this man rises and walks, this is what takes place in verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are all witnesses. And by his name, by faith in it, and, by, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers, but, th- but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that Christ would suffer, thus he fulfilled. Repent, therefore, turn back from your sins, that, th- that your sins may be blotted out, that these times of refreshings, refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Christ's appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for, restor- for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your, from your brothers. You shall listen to him, whatever he tells you. And it shall be every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and to those who came after him also proclaim these days. And you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. For God, raising, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your presence. 
your faithfulness, your honest words that are not sugarcoating, that are not easy sometimes to digest, but much needed for our souls. And we are so grateful for this day. We thank you that as we uh, unpack this passage, that you open our eyes to see and ears to hear what you have. In Jesus' name. I love this story. I love this story because Peter does something that's unthinkable. Number one, he and John heal somebody. I love what the Bible says, though. It doesn't say that he was able to walk. The Bible says Jesus has given this man perfect health. Amen. Look at that. Yeah. I mean, what I'm saying, the guy had a bum leg. He had a, a, an issue with his body, but God didn't just fix his legs. He gave him a perfect health. And what that really looks at is this, is he's restoring this man to its original intent, like it's supposed to be. Because the reality is, is that just because that man would have had the ability to move his legs for the first time, that's not perfect health. He doesn't have the, the muscle strength. He doesn't have the energy. He doesn't have all the, 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 the things that over the past decades of your life have caused you to get to this point. But God says, no, 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 I'm not just going to fix that one thing. I'm going to restore him perfectly. This phrase right here is the uh, pinnacle of the gospel right there. God is in the restoration business. That's the whole point of all of this, is that God is restoring all things back to its original intent. I love a good uh, car show, and I know nothing about cars. I, I know nothing about cars. I, I go to Daryl for most of my stuff, and every once in a while he tells me to go buy blinker fluid. So, like, it's one of those things, like, I know nothing, but I do love a cool restoration show. I, I love it when they go into, like, the garages and, they, and, and, the, and the car sales, and they find these old, beat-up cars, and they put them on a trailer, and they roll them up, and they take it back to its original intent. Now, what's really cool is some of these guys, they'll, they'll soup it up, and they'll do different things, but... I like the show where they take it all the way back. I mean, all the way back to uh, before there was a tracks. Like, I mean, we're talking about just putting in the factory back to the beginning, everything going up again, as if it just rolled off the lot just now. Can I tell you, God is in the business of restoring you back. Back to the way he intended you to be. Listen, the Bible is very clear. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. It also tells us if you keep going that the wages, the earnings of said sin is death. But then we can't stop there. We don't stop because Jesus is the redeemer back to what it is. His whole purpose is the restoration of Israel. Not the landmass. Restoration of Israel is not the idea of trying to create a geographic nation for a specific people. Though that's great that they have that. What the whole purpose is, I want to take you back to what I intended you to be in Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2. Because here's the kicker, in God's mind, that's still the way it's supposed to have been. But we have changed. We have veered back and forth. 
We are continually trying to update ourselves, and while we update ourselves, we break ourselves. A couple of guys uh, yesterday went to help um, put in a, a wheelchair ramp. Can I tell you, I did nothing. I, I carried some pieces of board because I, if you asked me to update something, it's going to be worse than it originally was. Do you know those people that are tinkers, like they just try to, oh, I can fix that, and all of a sudden there's parts all over the place, and you're like, I've got extra parts. I don't know where that came from. Like, I'm just not, I'm not that guy. My dad's that guy. Dad can walk in, he'll look at something, and he'll disassemble it and put it back together. Nathan can do the same thing, and no, nah, not me. I'm a demo guy. <laughs> that's just, you know, behold, I destroy worlds. Like, that's kind of, that is, that is what I have, have worked towards. Uh, some people break things. Some people fix things. Eh, we're a great pair. It's a yin and yang thing here. Dad will say, go cut the grass. I'll cut the grass, and I'll wrap a, a volleyball net inside the blades. And like, now you get to fix it. Don't you feel valued, Dad? You're so important. We need you around here because I'm going to break everything. Yeah, between me and Mom and her slinging fingernail polish all over the house, like we, we are continually needing somebody to fix our mess. When I go out with uh, my fiance and she just, she'll look at like the outfit that I wear and I can, I can feel the, <sighs> not because I look bad, but she goes, it's gonna be ruined. I, I could wear a bib and still come out with pizza sauce on me and not even order pizza. I don't know how it's possible, but I am, a, my dad can change the oil in a three-piece suit and come out looking great. I could wear a garbage bag and my clothes in the closet would have an oil stain. I don't know how it happens, but it's just what takes place in my life. And this is what happens. We have to understand that God didn't break this. He's restoring what was broken. So what Peter does is he does something kind of crazy. It's not only does this guy get healed, he opens up his mouth and goes, why are you looking at me? What, because I'm so great? Because of my godliness? That, right there, what he is doing is the opposite, can I tell you, of all, almost all of us. And that is this. Something great happens, and people look at us, and he goes, don't look at me. It's not false humility. It's understanding where the source came from. You ever had that false, humble, you know, like this guy, you know, you'll, somebody will do something nice, like uh, Ken Squared. They were building this ramp, Ken Smith and Ken Cole, and Daryl looked pretty, too, um, and... And this guy came out, and he's like, thank you, guys. And he, they didn't go, it wasn't us, it was the Lord. That's, it was you. You, you built that. Like, y'all did this. God gave you talents, but y'all did this. If, if you go outside, and you cut the grass, and your wife goes, hey, it looks great, babe. No, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. Well, you know, well, I mean, maybe Jesus can do it faster next time. Like, I, I, it's just, that's just not what happened. Less of a mess on the sidewalk. It's just one of those things. That's false humility. But when you know you did nothing to deserve this, you need to point out where it came from. This is what Peter's doing. Peter's looking and going, 
I, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. This was by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is what he did. This is what, G, it's not me. And I love what he starts off with. He goes, don't, don't look at me and my godliness. I, I didn't earn this. I didn't jump through a magic hoop. I didn't memorize a scripture. I didn't fast long enough or, or pray long enough to earn this special power. But that's what our knee-jerk reaction is. You'll watch a minister who will lay hands on the sick and, 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 and they'll do these crazy miracles. And we go, what do I have to do to get what he's got? Can I tell you, he didn't earn it. It's God. Now there's a little nuance there, if we can. There's a caveat, if you will. And that is this. I can never earn God's power in my life, but I sure can turn from it and resist his power in my life. Peter could have looked at that guy and go, I ain't got no money. And he could have kept walking. God didn't just grab his body and be like, no, God, no, and lay hands on this guy as if he's resisting. No. See, God is partnering with you in the restoration process. Can God snap his fingers tomorrow and make everything better? A thousand percent he can. But can I tell you, if he was to snap his fingers tomorrow and be the ultimate judge of the universe, there's a lot of people that he wants to come back to the fold that wouldn't be allowed. And it is through his love he says, wait. Peter looks and he goes, the God of our father Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. What he's doing here is he's building a bridge. He's looking at these men going, I'm not special, I'm one of you. You, you worship the God of Abraham, so do I. You worship the God of Jacob, so do I. You worship the God of Isaac, so do I. I am a Jew just like you, I'm not special. These men wearing these ephods and these crazy hats that walk around, they think they're special because they're born the specific way, but I'm not special. I'm just like you. This is what his opening line is. I'm just like you. He says, I love this phrase, the glorified, he decided to glorify his servant Jesus and they would instantly know what that means. It's not like today when I'm like, I'm a brother in the Lord or you're a sister in Christ. It's just casually thrown around. Like when they would recognize this phrase, he glorified his servant Jesus, that was a signification of this person was special. This phrase would have been well known and understood. When speaking of the servants of the Lord, it's only a handful. Moses was called a servant of the Lord. Abraham was called a servant of the Lord. Jacob was called a servant of the Lord. David was called a servant of the Lord. We're, we're talking cream of the crop here. But he also tagged into something tragic with this servant of the Lord. And that would signify a very specific type of servant of the Lord. 
In the Hebrew Scriptures, Zechariah would have said like this, Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed, they are men who are assembled. For behold, I am going to bring my servants the one branch. Isaiah says, Behold, my servant of whom I will hold up, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to all nations. And Isaiah 41, 49, 52, 53, it's continuing this process of the servant of the Lord, speaking of Jesus as the suffering servant of the Lord. So Peter made this connection with his audience. I'm just like one of you. I'm nothing special. Uh, we are of one faith. We are of one family. I am, man, your brother. You're, I'm not special. I didn't, just because I hung out with Jesus, so did Judas. But just because I hung out with Jesus doesn't make me special. It's just part of my life, pouring my life to him and, and giving it all to him. He looks and he goes, and I've got good news. The servant still heals today. He says, you've been praying for a deliverer for thousands of years, and he's here today. You have been praying now for a deliverer from the oppression of Rome, and he's here today. The bad news is you killed him. For the first time, I took this passage, and I, I watched the irony, and I laughed, and then it became very humbling. So let me try to walk through the, the process that I went through over this passage here. I'm reading this passage, and, and, and Peter begins to look and goes, the servant of the Lord, you turned him to Pilate. Pilate didn't want him. You forced it and then asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to come out in its stead. And it's the story of the crucifixion. We get all of that, but this is the crazy part. Because Peter's creating this connection here with, he calls Jesus the giver of life. So there's this, there's this compare and contrast. You, you took the giver of life and you asked for a murderer or a taker of life. And so I'm sitting there. I was at uh, uh, MPK getting a uh, calzone yesterday. Um, and I'm reading through this. I have my headphones in and music playing. And, I, and I'm reading through this over and over and over and over again, just breaking down this passage um, in my, my studies, and then I realized what Peter is doing here is going, you, you asked for something, you received something, you didn't like the packaging of something, and you traded it for its antithesis. Because your packaging mattered more than actually being delivered. And I sat there for a little bit and realized really quick, 
how many times in my life have I been praying for God to move, been praying for God to do something, been praying for God to speak, and then he gives me a packaging that I don't like, and I shun it and go the opposite of what I have been praying for. You murdered your answer because you didn't like how it looked. God, I thank you for patience. I thank you for patience in my life. And then I, all of a sudden, craziness takes place. Can I tell you, patience, grace, love, joy, you pray for those things, the poop hits the fan. I'm going to start praying for anger and hatred and <laughs> depression. Like, <laughs> no, it, it, it's exactly what takes place. You've been praying for a deliverer from the Romans. You gave your deliverer to the Romans. The Romans gave him back. We don't want my deliverer. I'd rather have somebody that might kill me than somebody that might restore me in a package I don't like. And this is the world we're living in now. Because when God doesn't do something in the packaging or the timing of our approval, we will trade in a good thing, not for an okay thing, but for a bad thing. I was going to use this analogy of, like, instead of having a, a great crockpot meal, we'll run through McDonald's. But that's, that's not the same thing. The idea is, in this passage, I've been praying for a great crockpot meal. Instead, I'm going to drink poison. Not lesser than that, the opposite of that. Notice that. You traded in the giver of life for a murderer. And this is where we are. On a regular basis, every second of our day, is we're asking ourselves, are we people that are here for the long run, or are we people that are here for convenience? Because the biggest opponent to the things of God is convenience. There's a, a, a few movies that I like, and, and, and I'm a, I like underdog movies. I like crazy stuff. But the, there was a movie recently that came out a few years back. Recently, who knows how long it's been? Probably 10 years. Um, it's called The Big Short. Did anybody ever see that one? Um, the whole idea was the housing market crash that these people could see that was about to take place, and they decided to short the market. What that means is they begin to look and go, the entire world believes the housing market's going to keep growing. I'm going to bet that it's going to fail. Okay? They're, they're shorting the market. Not too long ago, and uh, uh, there was an issue with GameStop. Do you remember this whole market thing? Right? GameStop was folding. Out of nowhere, these guys decided to rally the troops, buy a bunch of GameStop stock, shoot it through the roof. A hedge fund crashes, these average Joes go up. We love that story. It's cool. But that's not real life. People who are more or less day traders, where they just jump on, I'm going to buy this stock today, and I'm going to jump out tomorrow, and I'm going to buy this stock. You get nickeled and dimed with fees until you have less money than if you just kept it in your own bank. Can I put it this way? 
when it comes to the stock market, a lot of times you're not going to beat the odds if you think that you're smarter than all of these multi-billionaire stockbrokers. You might get lucky. Chances are you're not. Living your life off of these what we call penny stocks, hoping that one of these penny stocks will shoot through the roof, you're, you're going to get feed every transaction to death. There's a promise of something that could happen, but it's never going to manifest itself that way. It takes me back to Genesis chapter 3. Don't you know that God just doesn't want you to be wise like him? Why don't you just trade in your godliness for the chance to be just like him? But the fee was so great, it created a catastrophe that we are still living with today. Can I tell you, the, the, the fees of convenience in your walk with God will create ripples in your life that you will pay for for generations. And this is what Peter's looking at them going, you traded it in. You gave up something uncomfortable that would have been life-giving for something that you thought you could manage. You thought you could control this because you couldn't control him. So you traded in a great thing, what you want, for something that you thought you could control. And can I tell you, every time humanity tries to control something, it kills something. And you traded it in. And we're still trading it in. We are continually making these trades for God's goodness and God's grace, for convenience and comfortability. We will continue to look and go, I know I should read, I know I should pray, I know I should go to church, but I don't want to. I'm too tired, I'm too this. God understands, he knows my heart, my heart is righteous, I'll read next month. I'll go to church next week. I'll get in a small group the following time. But that's not what happens in life. When you play the odds, you lose. Easy example. How many, how many of you ever put a non-emergency item on a credit card that you're still paying off? No. It, it is that thing where like, but you do it with intention. I'm going to get this outfit, and when the bill comes at the month, I'll pay it off. Your intentions are good. Your choices are, are there. But MasterCard, Visa, and American Express play the odds against you. They know the probability is by the end of the month, there will be something else that you want to put your money to. And now you're going to get 20.99% interest. And that one outfit, that one whatever it was, you'll be making a payment on for the next 10 years. And by then, you've had 10 new outfits because they've already worn out. But this is what sin does to us too. You could do that way. But wouldn't it be so much easier if you just did it this other way? Sure, you can wait for that person, but just go ahead and take Mr. Right right now instead of Mr. You know, Mr. Right now instead of Mr. Right. Don't wait to, 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 to invest into the things of God. Just, just do it 
Live your 20s. Live your 30s. You're fine. You've got plenty of time to do this. Don't go after God's life. You, don't be a parent that does the annoying things like praying over your food and, and walking your kids through the Bible. You've got time. Plenty of time. Here's the thing that's crazy is that the devil will take God's plan and look at you and go, you've got plenty of time. But when it comes to his plan, you got to make a decision right now. Right now, make a call. you got to make a call right now. Yes, no, yes, no. What's the answer? What are you going to do? Come on, make a call. And you get rushed into making a decision. Can I tell you, the vast majority of the time when you're feeling pressure to make a decision right now, it's not God. Because God doesn't need you to rush make decisions. He is a planner. I love what he looks at Abraham and goes, get out of the land. When did he say to go? He didn't. There's only a handful of times. One of them is when Jesus is born um, and, and, and the angel wakes up Joseph and goes, hey, you need to get out of town. There's something bad on your way. Run. Besides that, God's like, I got time. You don't have time. I've got time. No pressure. Just here's life. Here's death. Your call. That's God. Here's your options, bro. It's your life. You want this one or you want that one? I just saw the FDA decided to do uh, synthetic meat now as approved. Man, I can tell you it may taste like a T-bone, but that ain't a steak. <laughs> like, we have this in our minds. We know better than God's plan. This is what Peter's saying. You made a horrible decision. And this is what we do. Both as humans and more recently as Americans, uh, we will trade freedoms for tyranny. Because we're scared. Uh, we don't believe in being able to manage ourselves, so we will create rules for other people to follow. We will trade peace for gossip. Got no love on that one. We will trade long-term happiness for short-term thrills. We will have a dream house and a dream car and we will trade those in for one Amazon order after another. It's what I would call the great exchange. Where God looks and goes, behold, I have a plan for you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Plans to prosper you and be in good health as your soul prospers. That's my plan. And we go, I'll take door number two. How long would that take, God? Take a lifetime of relationship. <laughs> now, isn't there an Instapot version? And then we're dealing with stress, we're dealing with heartache, we're dealing with pressure, we're dealing with depression, we're dealing with anxiety, we're dealing with all of these things and we wonder why. You know why? 
Because John 15 tells us that I am the vine and you are the branches and you cannot live when you are separated from me. Yet, too many times in my life, I'm finding myself detaching myself from the, from, from the, from, from the vine, trying to do it my own way. And now I'm living with anxiety. I'm living with shame. I'm constantly having that fear. Have you ever had the fear? It's, it's a weird thing where you felt like you needed to look over your shoulder constantly, yet you don't know why. It's an anxiety of, I know something inside isn't right, and I don't know what it is. And you're dealing with that anxiety, and you're dealing with that pressure, and you're dealing with it all, and I will put on more, and I will carry more, and I will just help more, and I will just serve more, and I will just push through it, and God's going, you're detached from the vine because you picked the wrong door. You decided to go for convenience instead of who I am, and now you're dealing with those consequences. You drank the poison and you're wondering why your stomach hurts. Because you didn't want to wait for what I had ready for you. And this is what Peter's saying. And I love when he looks at him in verse 17, I think is what it is. And he goes, you did it in ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. Just like your fathers didn't know what they were doing. But you still did this. You killed Jesus. Ignorant or not, you did this. I did this. The Romans did this. We all are guilty here. And Peter looks at them and goes, but there's a way to get back on track. And I love this. Is that God doesn't just sit there and go, you decided to do your own thing and you traded in a murderer for, uh, you traded in the life giver for a murderer and now you're living with those consequences. God doesn't sit back on his throne and goes, well, how's that working out for you? No. And if we can continue with this branch theme that he was going with is this idea of I detached myself from the vine, I'm now falling to the ground rapidly. I'm not getting the nutrients. And God in his grace and his mercy saw me disconnected and decided to grow towards me to reconnect me. He could have looked me on the ground and been like, tough break, bro. Everybody look at this guy. He's an idiot. But God, who is rich in mercy, grows towards. He connects towards. The Bible says no man can know the Father unless first beckoned by God. God looks and goes, come home. Come home. Come home. I'm meeting you. I'm coming to you. I'm sending, I sent Jesus to you. He lived. You killed him. It's okay. We'll come back to you again. We'll give you another opportunity. After time. After time. After time. But let me tell you something. There comes a moment in our lives where we are continually walking away from God and he's got to let you go. This is the question that I've gotten more than I will possibly in the past 23 years of ministry trying to figure out is, when have I sinned so much that I've lost my salvation? There's not a magic number. That's just not, it's not like you can, you've got eight freebies, but on that ninth one that day, woo, got to get resaved again and rebaptized. That's not how this happens. The real question is, 
how much can I get away with before I get in trouble? How close of the line can I get before there's consequences? And I'll just make sure I take one step back. Instead of running from sin, we go, how close can I get before there's dire consequences? That's the real question. I don't have an easy answer for anybody. But here's one thing I can tell you in my personal life. Is the moment I stop being convicted of sins that I used to be convicted of, we've got a problem ahead. When the Holy Spirit looks and goes, I can't talk this guy back, we've got a problem. When I used to have these strong moves of God and convictions and, and hungers and thirst, and now I go, it's been a long time, and I couldn't care less, and I used to have a passion for God, and now it's just, it's whatever day, or, or now the sins are, I'm justifying all my sins, and I'm doing all of these things. I begin to ask myself, where am I at in this salvation game? Because my Bible says that as I grow with Christ, I should be going from glory to glory, not glory backwards, glory backwards, glory backwards. I should increase in my relationships with God. I should be desiring more of him and less of me. Yet for some reason, I don't even hear his voice anymore. I ask myself this question, how long have I been disconnected from this vine? In my personal life in 2001, I had this aha moment. This spiritual moment where I feel like God woke me from a sleep. Both literally and metaphorically, when I woke up, I realized last night I enjoyed partying, but today I feel sick about it. Why do I feel sick about this all of a sudden? I've been doing this for a long time. Why do I not like this anymore? And when I look at my friend, I went, we need Jesus. And he laughed. He laughed. But I knew in my spirit, like it was this moment of sovereign shaking, if you will, where God goes, hey, 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 before you go back to the numbness, I'm giving you a chance to come home. Because that's what sin will constantly want to do. Sin is giving you a shovel to dig yourself out of a hole. Notice that. You make a mistake, you make a bad choice, you sin, and the devil goes, Whew, God's going to be ticked. Here's a shovel, just keep digging. Maybe you'll get out to the other side. Maybe you'll dig all the way through and you'll, you'll be okay. And that, that small hole turned into a bigger hole. Turned, and we, we, we get to this place where we're digging these, these trenches in our hearts so deep we don't even see the sunlight anymore. And every once in a while, God will walk by and scream into the darkness, I'm here, are you ready to get out? And this is what Peter's telling these men. You, in your ignorance, did some stupid things. But I want you to understand something. You didn't throw God off. God knew we needed this sacrificial lamb. Sacrificial lamb. God knew we needed Jesus. It's going to be okay. There is a way back home. And he looks at us and says, abide in love and follow his love. Keep these things. Repent and change your life. None of these people who heard this sermon that, that day woke up and goes, today's the day of repentance. But God, 
listen to this, in his masterful planning and meticulously laying everything out, looks and goes, there is a Nathan there who has nothing to do with me right now, but I am going to heal this man. Peter's going to talk about repentance, and I'm going to awaken something inside of somebody who wasn't planning on getting saved. And I'm going to laugh and say, got him. When he looks at Peter and says, I will make you a fisher of men, the only way he could do that is if he first knows how to fish for men. And today, God's fishing. He fishes with bait, but his bait doesn't have a nasty hook on it. No, in fact, I, I would dare say God's, the way he catches is with nets. He draws you in unhurt unscathed because he's not in it for himself. He wants to restore. He wants to heal. He wants to bring you back to his original intent. And now today, he's throwing his net out. Are you ready to come home? Are you ready to, to get back on track? Are you ready to reconnect to the vine? Are you ready to, to follow me? Are you ready to change your ways? Are you ready to, to do like I was preaching back here and go, hey, come home. It's time to, to, to change it's time to, to get life back. You made a great exchange. You gave something great up for something bad. We've done it, and we continue to do it. I'm sure I did it last week at something. We'll take God's godliness and his goodness, and we'll trade it in for something else, thinking that it's going to be the shortcut to get around, and it just doesn't happen. But today, God's looking and going, hey, I know you're, in a, you're dealing with depression. I know you're dealing with anxiety. I know you're dealing with stress. I know you're dealing with shame. I know you're dealing with loneliness. I know you're dealing with, 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 with unfor unfor unforgiveness. I know you're dealing with all the tensions and the gossips. And, and it seems like you, you have this moment where you're like, I don't want to do this. And then all of a sudden, the next day, you continue to go back into it over and over and over again. And what he's saying here is, come back to the vine. And Peter doesn't give these complex, hard things to do. In verse, uh, in verse uh, sorry, go back to verse 16 of chapter 15 of John. He says this, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. You were picked this day. This isn't an accident that you are here today or you're, you're listening to this today or you're watching online. You were picked on purpose. And today is the day we get to make a choice. Do we want to stay off the vine? Do we want to live the same way over and over again? Do we want to pivot Turn from our wickedness. And wickedness doesn't have to be murder. It doesn't have to be abuse. It's just not doing it God's way. Just stop drinking the poison hoping it turns into a pot roast. It's your day. It's my day. So here, here's what we're going to do is we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you if that's something that you're wanting to do, if, that, if you recognize that you've been off the vine, you want to reconnect, you've traded things in, it's time to come back home, whatever it may be, I'm going to ask you when we pray. I'm going to have everyone close their eyes because 
it's what we do. Um, and because I, I, at the same time, I want you to have this moment between you and God. It doesn't matter what your spouse says or thinks or your kids say or think or what the person next to you says or thinks. But I do want you to look and go, God, I, I've disconnected. And as if you were to reach back out and grab a hold of the vine, God, it's me. And I'm ready to come back home. I'm ready to reconnect to my life source yet again. I'm ready to connect back with you. And that's the very first thing we do, is we acknowledge our need for our Savior. We acknowledge that my way isn't working. I've made things about me, and it's not working. I need him. And the second thing we do is we're reaching out. We're saying, God, not only do I need you, but I trust that your way is better than my way. And we vocalize that. I break off my contract with this poison. I break off my contract with all these things, and, I, and you have you've paid it in full, and I want to connect myself to you, God. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are what I want. And once we do those things, we walk out day by day the way he describes. He's not going to rush you. If you deal with ADD like I do, it's okay. Slow down. He's not going to ask you to do 55,000 things. You don't go home today and read the entire Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're going to abide with him. Live with him day by day. So everybody, every head bowed, eye closed. If that's you, you say, Pete, I need, I need. Not I want to or it sounds like a good idea. I desperately need to reconnect back to the vine. And I don't care if you are a pastor on my staff. I don't care if you are an elder in the church. And I don't care if this is the first time you're here. If that is you and you say, I desperately need to reconnect to the vine, I want you to throw your hand up real quick. There, yeah, here we go. Amen. That's a, that's a great thing. Thank you, guys. That's a great thing. Life flows back in. Joy flows back in. Peace flows back in. Love flows back in. All the nutrients that you need to, to go through your day, spirit, soul, body, flowing right back in. So today, God, I just thank you. And with my mouth as a representative and everybody else who wants to say it loudly or quietly, Jesus, we need you in our lives. I'm sorry for doing it my way. I'm sorry for taking a shortcut when I needed to, to be uh, in, in the right path. And God, I'm, I'm, I, I repent today. I'm drinking a poison, hoping it would turn into a, a pot roast. And today, God, I say yes and amen to your will. Yes and amen to your way. I need you more than ever before. I, I can't do this alone any longer. Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior, be my King, be my ruler. Everything that I have is all yours forever. I break off any ties to the enemy. I break off any contracts that I made with my mouth or with my actions towards the evil one. And today, God, I say yes and amen to your will and to your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, I love you guys so very much. We can't wait to see y'all next Sunday. Um, and uh, be blessed. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.